This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. I'm Andy Dwyer, and when I'm not pulling suckers off my tomato plants in my garden, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we have a purely electric show for you today. Have you ever learned something too late in life that you wished you could have passed on to your younger self? Of course you have. Like how I wish I could tell my past self the winning lottery numbers, or or, or or I knew that blinker fluid was really expensive, or that those college experiments wouldn't really lead to anything good. In that vein, today, our roundtable panel will discuss nine money and life lessons most people learn too late. To help us, from Modern Frugality and the Frugal Friends podcast, we welcome Jen Smith. Also, a doctor is in the house, people. From the Earn and Invest podcast, say hello to Doc G. And finally, from LenPenzo.com, it's, it's, oh wait, it's just Len Penzo. Of course, we'll also magnify some listeners' money, and of course, I will captivate you with my spectacular trivia. And now a guy who loves making the same mistakes over and over and over again it's Joe Saul Well, one thing, it's not a mistake, and that's podcasting on Friday because it's the most fun we can possibly have. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the weekend. I'm Joe Saul Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and we have a fantastic show for you today because the man from under Los Angeles... Just like Poxitani Phil, we call him Los Angeles Len, popped his head out to be on the podcast. Len Penzo, what's up, man? 
I am beside myself with joy. I just got back from the dentist, actually, and my cavity-less streak continues 56 years no cavity. I thought you were going to say four days. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed that again. 56 years, no cavities. Yeah, it's a stress now. Every time I go to the dentist, it's just like, you know, now I know how like um, Lou Gehrig felt or uh, Joe DiMaggio back in the day getting those, you know, or, or Wayne Gretzky with those goal scores. You know, you get, Holy you crap, get more, more pressure with every time you go. We're telling old guy stories again already. <laughs> The show just began and you're talking about the, the youngest. Bad. I'm sorry. The, Let's get to the younger, younger, <laughs> uh, brighter, uh, more uh, hip kids. The, the youngest dude you referred to retired in the 80s right there. <laughs> yeah. And a guy who just was getting going in the 80s, I'm sure, probably had the big comb in his pocket and uh, the members only jacket. It's from the Earn and Invest podcast, our friend Doc G. I have to tell you, those members only jackets were so cool. I had like three of them. And <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. And my brothers all had them too. And like, we'd all go out together wearing them. We were like, probably, you know, like six, eight and 10. And they were like the coolest things ever. I, I, I miss those. Did you miss hair too? Like the rest of us? Well, here's the funny thing about going bald. Way back when in the day I could get a haircut like every few months. Now I have almost no hair on my head, but if I don't get it cut every few weeks, it looks totally dumb. So like the less hair I have, the more haircuts I have to get, which is just so cruel. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Like the Doc, that's why you got to wear a beanie like I do all the time. You know, my wife tells me I don't look good with those on. <laughs> and the woman wondering how she got on the Hair Club for Men podcast. From the Frugal Friends podcast, it's our friend Jen Smith, who has more hair than all three of us put together, Jen. Yeah, I just can't relate. I mean, <laughs> I was born in the 80s. I have a lot of hair, so she's I got, don't know what I can contribute here. She's like, old guy stories and I have hair. See ya. <laughs> Poor Jen. See ya. <laughs> We're sorry, Jen. Yeah. I got to know what perspective I'm bringing. Well, tell everybody for, for perspective, the Frugal Friends podcast is awesome. And for the three people that don't know what you guys do there, tell us. So we are a weekly show. My co-host Jill and I, every week we tell people how they can save money on something or control their spending, spend less, consume less. And in the things that we don't have personal experience with, we bring on people that do. And you have the bill of the week. And the bill of the week where our listeners call in and share their favorite bill, either one they saved on or found on the side of the road, or we've had quite a few like people named Bill lately. Uh, that's been fun. So that's, that's everyone's favorite part of the show. It's the only reason they listen. What's your favorite? That's the only reason. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> the only reason I listen, frankly, is to see who the bill of the week is or what the bill of the week is going to be. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a lot of fun on this show. We're about to talk about lessons we wish we would have known earlier, like Jen wondering, uh, <laughs> wish she would have known that we were going to talk 80s and hair loss <laughs> earlier, at least 10 minutes earlier. I do feel bad. I, mean, I, I feel bad now. <laughs> so let's get off that topic and let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. 
Well, and as always, we kick off our discussion with the celebrity reader. One of our favorite blogs is called Money Crashers. And one of our friends at Money Crashers is going to read today's piece. This is David from moneycrashers.com. And I'll be reading A Father's Letter to His Kid, The Nine Money Lessons Most People Learn Too Late in Life, by Morgan Housel for CNBC. On June 3rd, 2019, my wife and I welcomed our daughter into the world. She's barely old enough to walk, so her job, mostly eating and sleeping, hasn't changed much. But one day, she'll need some money and life advice. As a father who has spent much of his career studying and writing about money, behavioral finance, and business, this is what I'll tell her. Don't underestimate the role of chance in life. It's easy to assume that wealth and poverty are caused by the choices we make, but it's even easier to underestimate the role of chance in life. The families, values, countries, and generations we're born into, as well as the people we happen to meet along the way, I'll play a bigger role in our outcomes than most people want to admit. While you should believe in the values and rewards of hard work, it's also important to understand that not all success is a result of hard work and that not all poverty is due to laziness. Keep this in mind when forming opinions about others, including yourself. The highest dividend money pays is the ability to control time. Being able to do what you want, when you want, where you want, with who you want and for as long as you want provides a lasting level of happiness that no amount of fancy stuff can ever offer. The thrill of having fancy stuff wears off quickly, but a job with flexible hours and a short commute will never get old. Having enough savings to give you time and options during an emergency will never get old. Being able to retire when you want to will never get old. Achieving independence is our ultimate goal in life, but independence isn't an all or nothing. Every dollar you save is like owning a slice of your future that might otherwise be managed by someone else based on their priorities. Don't count on getting spoiled. No one can grasp the value of a dollar without experiencing its scarcity. So while your mother and I will always do our best to support you, we're not going to spoil you. Learning that you can't have everything you want is the only way to understand needs versus desires. This, in turn, will teach you about budgeting, saving, and valuing what you already have. Knowing how to be frugal without it hurting you is an essential life skill that will come in handy during life's inevitable ups and downs. Success doesn't always come from big actions. Napoleon's definition of a genius is the person who can do the average thing when everyone else around him is losing his mind. Managing money is the same. You don't have to do amazing things to end up in a good place over time. You just have to consistently not screw up for long periods of time. Avoiding catastrophic mistakes, the biggest of which is burying yourself in debt, is more powerful than any fancy financial tip. Live below your means. The ability to live with less is one of the most powerful financial levers because you'll have more control over it than things like your income or investment returns. The person who makes $50,000 per year, but only needs $40,000 to be happy, is richer than the person who makes $150,000, but needs $151,000 to be happy. The investor who earns a 5% return, but has low expenses, may be better off than the investor who earns 7% a year, but needs every penny of it. How much you make doesn't determine how much you have, 
and how much you have doesn't determine how much you need. It's okay to change your mind. Almost no one has their life figured out by age 18, so it's not the end of the world if you pick a major that you end up not enjoying, or get a degree in a field that you're not 100% passionate about, or work in a career and later decide you want to do something else. It's okay to admit that your values and goals have evolved. Forgiving yourself for changing your mind is a superpower, especially when you're young. Everything has a price. The price of a busy career is time away from friends and family. The price of long-term market returns is uncertainty and volatility. The price of spoiling kids is them living a sheltered life. Everything worthwhile comes with a price, and most of those prices are hidden. They're sometimes worth paying for, but you should never ignore their true costs. Once you accept this, you'll start to view things like time, relationships, autonomy, and creativity as currencies that are just as valuable as cash. Money is not the greatest measure of success. Warren Buffett once said, True success in life is when the number of people you want to have love you actually do love you. And that love comes overwhelmingly from how you treat people rather than your level of net worth. Money won't provide the thing that you and almost everyone else want most. No amount of money can compensate for a lack of character, honesty, and genuine empathy towards others. This is the most important financial advice I can give you. Don't blindly accept any advice you're given. All the lessons here, including this last one, are things that most people learn too late in life. But feel free to reject them. Your world will be different from mine, just as mine is different from my parents. No one is exactly the same, and no one has all the right answers. Never take anyone's advice without contextualizing it with your own values, goals, and circumstances. Your parents love you. We are so happy you're here. Please let us sleep. Big thanks for reading Morgan Housel's piece. By the way, Morgan Housel, quite a thinker. If you're not following him on mm-hmm. Twitter, man, are you you missing something? But l- let's talk about these. I want to take these in order. And uh, and Jen, let's let's start with you. When we look at this first one, don't underestimate the role of chance in life. What did you think when Andrew was reading that? Yeah. So my son was born just a week and a half before his daughter. So immediately I was like picturing telling my son this every single one of them. I was like, yes, yes. There's so there's such an emphasis on like work hard and you will get to where you want to be. But we discount all of the hard work that goes on behind the scenes in these like cycles of poverty and these cycles of living paycheck to paycheck that are just passed down from grandparents to parents. And there's, there's, there's this hand that so many people are dealt not on purpose, but just by chance. And it's something we don't, we're starting to talk about more, but for a while was ignored. I feel like, Len, when we talk about this, you know, you talk a lot about personal responsibility on your blog. And I think that when I read number one at first, the younger me thought that if chance is big on life, then people aren't going to take a lot of responsibility. But I found that I believe this more and more the older I get. And I still believe that no matter what my hand is, it's not an excuse. It's not a it's not a whatever. It's, it's, it's just my starting space. It just helps me understand other people better. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I'm, you know, I'm a big, the corollary to this is the harder you work, the luckier you get. And that's what I try to tell my kids too. I mean, yes, luck, there's luck in lots of things. You got to be in the right, be in the right place at the right time and, and uh, networking and finding somebody if you're trying to get a job or you're trying to get your first break and starting a new business, whatever. But it, again, it always comes down to hard work. And like I said, I, I just believe if you work hard, good things will happen. It might take a while, but it's, I mean, if hard work didn't pay off, then, you know, why are we all here to begin with? So, uh, like I said, you work hard work makes its own luck. Yeah. And I find myself, Doc, being a lot less judgy of other people when I when I see this number one, when I started believing this number one under, you know, seeing the role of chance in people's lives and where they start from. Yeah. When I read number one, I really think about humility. And I think that gets into this idea of travel. When you go out into the world and you realize that other people's situations aren't necessarily the same as yours. And it's really easy for people like us, content producers, bloggers, podcasters, people involved in personal finance to think that we just know things, right? That we've discovered these secrets. But there's also a part of me that tries to remember to be a little bit more humble. And I think number one reminds us of that and pulling in what Len was saying too, preparedness, yeah. right? So you have to be a little bit humble because we don't know what life's going to throw at us. We don't know what we're going to be born into. We can't control that. We can't control luck, but we sure as heck can try to be as prepared as possible for when it blesses us. And I think that's what really number one said to me. But looking at somebody, Jen, who's got Joe, a, yes. I'm sorry. I got to break in one, one thing on this. So it goes both ways, right? It's a double-edged sword. So chance works in reverse too. Somebody will get hit with a bad health problem and they turn them in the other direction financially. So it does go both ways. And I, and I, I want to make that clear that it, I <laughs> realized that it's a double-edged sword. No, and that's a great point because you see, Len, people live their lives sometimes, especially big savers, the type of people listen to this show. They have no idea what I feel like some people manage their money as if the next 30, 40, 50 years is assured. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's assured and everything's going to go well, right? Yeah. And so when we're planning for retirement, is, is, of course, I'm getting close to retirement. I think we last week I talked about how, you know, the closer you get to retirement, the more you're checking all your numbers and stuff. You have to take into account not only how you're going to live the rest of your life in good times, but you have to think of the bad things that are going to come up too, the health problems and, and all of that. So, yes, you've got to take into account both sides of the equation. Spoken like an engineer. Jen, when we, when we take a look at number one here, I think that for some people, though, if you feel like you were dealt a worse hand, you're, you're a family that doesn't have money or a broken home or maybe things aren't well in your community. It seems like you'd be discouraged by that. Yeah, it could run two different ways. Like some people run the other way. They don't want to live the life that their parents did. And so they become, you know, these entrepreneurs or in these careers and they just try and like save, 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 earn, earn, earn. Um, but then there's other people that end up in this community where they're almost sometimes discouraged from being financially sound. They're, you know, in this treat yourself mentality, you're looked at as like a nerd or you're weak if you're smart with money. It just depends on the people you're surrounded with. And I think that working hard is the only thing that can get you out of it. 
Uh, but I think some people start from this place where they have to work harder in their personal lives too, to get to the same starting place as other people. Yeah. I mean, I agree with what Len said. Some, it goes both ways. Like chance can hit you in the other direction too. And, and nothing is guaranteed. We had a great guest on a couple of years ago, a guy named John Hope Bryant, who wrote a book called The Memo. And he talked about some people were born into families that didn't get the memo. And they, they're not from families where they saved or they knew how to control debt or they even knew how to get a job or how to, whatever it might be. They didn't get that memo. But he also made a great point that that is not a reason to throw in the towel. It's a reason to work harder. I'll find a way, I'll find a way around that. And uh, we'll link to that interview, by the way, because I found it super inspirational being a guy who, I mean, on one hand, I was very privileged as a middle-class family, but we lived in a rural area. I had no idea what an engineer was. People told me that had I known what an engineer was in an earlier age, I probably would have been one. I just thought an engineer was a guy who drove the train because we didn't talk about that stuff. Our family didn't talk about money. I mean, we had a lot of good stuff that happened to us. I don't want it to sound like a pity party, but we got maybe half the memo, maybe two-thirds of the memo. The second thing on here, Doc, I wanted to start with you, because I think this is very powerful, and I feel like this is what you talk about a lot on Earn and Invest. The highest dividend money pays is the ability to control time. I think this is one of the most important messages. And yeah, it is something we talk a lot about on Earn and Invest. And if you think about your own life, how many times have you pined over buying something and gotten it? And then it didn't make you nearly as happy as you thought it would. Like when you measure happiness, that spike you get from a thing only lasts so long. And then you kind of go back to baseline. Your sense of feeling of control over your life, however, brings your overall contentedness up. So feelings of control, feeling like you can plan out your days, your weeks, your months, and your years, and that you have that power actually leads to overall happiness. And I think it does it a lot more than things ever do. But it's funny, Jen, Doc discounts things, but I even think with things, this is powerful because when you have money, you can buy things that don't wear out as often. You can buy a car with a better safety record and, and a car that breaks down less often. You can buy clothing that doesn't wear out as quickly. So I spend less time on car. Ma I mean, these are just two little things. You know what I mean? I can buy food. We had Jane Bryant Quinn on a couple of years ago talking about how there's a big difference between people who are wealthy and they can eat really well and they're going to live for a long time. And people that are poor in America who are eating at McDonald's because it's so damn cheap and they're going to die younger than their parents did. Money buys you so much time. Yes, I'm a believer that money can buy happiness to an extent. And part of that is time, but part of it is health and security and peace of mind. And I really, I think frugality at its core is not about getting the lowest price on things or saving and hoarding for a later day but being a good steward of the limited resources you are given. And time is one of those limited resources. Your health is one of those limited resources, all of these things. And so, yeah, I think you should save in some places so that you can get more time or, or whatever you want in other places. Len, I wanted to come to you last because of the fact that I think for you, it's the most dramatic. You're getting ready to retire at a much younger age than most people retire money's about to buy you a bunch of freedom because you did a good job of saving. 
Yeah, it gives you choices, right, that you wouldn't normally have. So one of the things that's buying me is the ability to retire earlier and do things I want to do. Although, as I have mentioned now, <laughs> with the latest uh, you know events economically going on, it's been delayed just a little bit. But yeah, it's still right around the corner here. And it's very important. And, and, you know, money is choices. Money is freedom. It gives you it just that's what I try to tell my son. It's like, you know, the more money you make, the more choices you have, the more options you have in life, the more the more you are in control of your life. So that's if anything, that's what money gets you. But it seems to me, Len, that for you now, especially giving some thought to what you're going to do with that time becomes even more important than ever. Well, of course. Yeah. And part of what I'm going to do with that time is I'm going to use it to try and make more money inside businesses, side hustles, and offset the rate of savings I have, the drawing that down over time, right? So I, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I'm 56 now. I could live to be 96. Then again, I could let, live to be only 60. So that's one reason why I'm, it's really important for me to retire relatively soon here because I don't know. And, and the older I get and people around me, I'm knowing the more people are passing away. Uh, I just realize life, you don't know, you know, and I do. I don't want to be one of those people who I'm working on the day I die. I just don't. I want to have, you know, and thank goodness I've saved enough that I can retire early. Jen, how much thought have you given to this role of time in your life? So I used to be super into financial independence right after we paid off our debt and trying to save, save, save so that we could retire early and have time. And then as I started doing that, I realized the value of time isn't future time, but it's present time. And so like, I don't want to have all my focus in future flexibility. I want to create present flexibility. And so that's why the last time I got laid off, I didn't look for another full-time job. I'm just trying to lower my expenses enough to where I can maintain the flexibility I have. But you also became a parent, really. I mean, the big scheme of things, not that long ago. Did that change that too? Yeah. It was this big like conundrum. I had I had the freedom and the time that I wanted and I planned for. Um, and then I actually got a child and I was like, wow, I don't I don't want to spend all day with him. I don't want to be a stay at home parent like I originally thought. And I think it gets down to the in the later part of this article is that you can change your mind too. you have that right. And so you can plan and be wise and then, uh, you know, put your kid in daycare and go work. <laughs> like I like my kid, but uh, hey, sometimes. Mommy yeah. needs a break. There was a time we were visiting my daughter at the University of Arkansas, and there's this cool area called Dixon Street where all the bars are. And we went out to lunch, and they had this awesome beer on tap, Jen. The beer was called Mommy's Helper. And I, I thought that was, it was so awesome. Just, oh, that one's for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who makes it, but that's the first thing I thought of was Mommy's Helper <laughs> at that great. time. Doc, let's start with you with the third one here. Don't count on getting spoiled. You know, I think it's important that as you're growing up, you face enough hardship to realize what work is and to realize how to get back up after you've been down. So, you know, in a sense, I can't say that I went through lots of hardship as a kid. I grew up in a very comfortably middle-class family. On the other hand, all three of us boys, me and my two brothers, we all worked pretty much right the minute we were able to at 15 or 16 throughout high school. In fact, 
I remember telling my mom not to give me allowance because I could go out and make my own money. And looking back, that learning how to count on yourself and how to make a go of it yourself without someone giving you something really built confidence in me that lasted the rest of my life. So I, I think it's really important. I think kids need to, I don't think they need to live lives of need, right? They should have enough to eat. I believe as parents, we should pay for their education and those type of things. But I think they should know how to work for things. This idea of needs versus desires, though, how do you teach your kids that, Doc? Well, the truth of the matter is we just don't give them anything. <laughs> <laughs> they live so in a tent they, in the backyard yeah, that they made themselves. Taking notes. <laughs> I mean, they get their allotment of water for the day. <laughs> And and three meal packets. Yeah. And then it's kind of up to them. I mean, we give them a bow and arrow, and if they can kill themselves, some squirrel. Or, you know, <laughs> or if it turns I mean, into the I Hunger mean, Games. We have different ways of dealing with, with wants versus needs. We do it in a few different ways. One is we rarely buy things that they just happen to look at and decide they want right there and then. So if we are shopping for something else and they see something they want, we always have at least a wait period of a few days to even sometimes weeks to decide if they really want it. The other thing is instead of giving them a weekly allowance, we decided to give them a yearly allowance, which they we give them on January 1st. And then they have to decide how to use that allowance. And although we pay for food, we actually give them enough that they have to pay for clothes. They have to pay for some basic things that are not just for fun, but actually that may be needed throughout the year. So that gives them a good chance of actually taking their money and deciding how much to save, how much to use. And if they overspend early on in the year, they're kind of in trouble as the year goes on. What age did you start that at? Like three? We know we waited a little longer. I believe with my son, we started at like, we started young, believe it or you'd be amazed. We did start young. We started probably eight or nine. Did you? Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and did they get it right away or did they blow it in the first six months? They did much better than we as parents. See, what we should have done is given them the money and then not given them any guidance because this is the perfect chance to fail safely. But instead, you know, being the savers we were, we were always harping on them. Well, do you really want to spend that money? We should have let them fail a little more. That was our biggest mistake. The kids paid a lot of attention to it. My daughter would be like, well, I don't know. It's pretty early in the year. I don't know if I want to spend that yet. And she would hold off and wait till later. So they, they kind of figured it out on their own. Us parents were a little bit slower on the uptake. Len always includes food for his kids in the allowance. And he has to keep reminding them over and over. It's called Fancy Feast for a Reason. <laughs> it's very you know, I don't need child protective services coming over here you know, even though my kids are now in their early 20s I, I just see how did you do though because I can imagine you being a taskmaster on this Len with the older kids need versus desires how'd you do that with your kids well kind of like what Doc was saying we did the same I can I rarely I can't even remember a time we were somewhere and the kids would say oh I just want something never did I can't remember ever saying oh here yeah sure we'll buy that for you they had to save for it they had to spend you know and, and buy the stuff themselves so otherwise they had to depend on the the charity of their parents or their family at their birthdays or Christmas. Other, other than that, it's you had to save for it. And that's basically how we did that. I want to go over one more of these on my end and then just open it up to you guys about ones that you really like. But number four here might be my favorite, Jen. Success doesn't always come from big actions. That's so true. It's just a culmination 
of little things done over and over and over. And I loved that Napoleon quote. If you can do average things when everyone else around you is losing their minds, which many people might be experiencing right now, then yeah, you'll be okay long-term. I love the idea, Len. Wake up 15 minutes earlier or exercise while your brain has no idea what the hell's going on. Every day I keep reminding myself of that quote. I love that. I don't even know where that came from, but I heard that a long time ago. Get exercising done before your brain has the ability to catch up. And then you feel great the rest of it. But it's, but it's these dominoes, right, Len? I mean, it's this little one thing creates another win, creates another win. That is this snowball versus this. I think everybody's waiting for this big aha or I'm going to turn the corner and life is all of a sudden going to be better. But it is that. It's those little, little moments. Of course. It's all a bunch of building blocks. You don't, you're going to set yourself up for disappointment if you're going to try and hit the home run right out of the gate. And Rome wasn't, I know this is cliche. Rome oh wasn't built in a day, but it's goodness, true. Dad. Oh my goodness, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I mean, that's t- little goals and, you know, little steps get through each goal. And before you know it, within, you know, a year, two years, three years, you look back and you're, and you're much better off. Don't try and hit the home run earlier. You're going to set yourself up for total disappointment. Doc, what's your favorite of the of the rest of these? You know, I'm a big fan of number nine. Don't blindly accept any advice you're given Really, and this is not just financially, this is career advice or even personal advice. I can't tell you how many times people in my life said, you can't. And I finally come to realize that when someone says you can't, what they really mean is they can't. But there have been a lot of times in life where I was told that that's not possible or there's no way to do that or there's no path forward. And I think being persistent and not just taking people's word for it, but exploring yourself, finding your own limits. I think it's really important. I think if you want to get ahead in the world, you have to be willing to go past what other people think can't be done. Jen? I, oh gosh, it's hard to pick just one, but number eight, money is not the greatest measure of success. The quote, to quote him, no amount of money can compensate for a lack of character honesty, and genuine empathy towards others. There's like nothing more that I can say. No, you can drop the mic on that one, but we're going to let Len still go anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You know, mine's, uh, it's the most, to me, the most basic one. And I, I think it all always boils down to this is live below your means. I mean, as long as you do that, everything should take care of itself at the end. Are you saying it's simpler than we make it, Len? I, that's what that's what I'm saying. Honestly, that's what I'm saying. I, it, if you have to boil personal finance down to one thing, it is it's live below your means. Well, you've heard this guy on our show before, and by the way. They've also been a sponsor of our show. We really wanted to have Angela Poli, who is the co-founder of MetPro, which does something called metabolic profiling on the show. OG and I and the team, we were sitting around and we're like, you know what? We want to cover health because so often we look at our work life and we look at our money, but we forget that if our health doesn't go, nothing goes. And so being healthy, think more crisply, get more done achieve more of the results you want. That's at the base of all of this stuff that we talk about. So we wondered who is the right person to do this. 
And clearly, if you've heard Angelo Poli on our show before, you know that he's the guy. He is definitely the guy. So here, not as, as a guy who's been a sponsor of the show, here's a guy who we know and trust a ton, a guy who's worked with some huge names like Aaron Rodgers, as an example. The If you don't know football, he is the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. He's worked with a lot of big names you know. Now he's here helping you. Let's say hello to Angelo Poli. Well, a month ago he was here and we had so many questions about exercise and about diet. We had to have him back again. Plus, if you heard the show a month ago, you know that I didn't make him sweat as much as I really wanted to. Angelo Poli from MetPro joins us. How are you, man? I'm back to sweat, Joe. <laughs> Isn't it amazing that now once in a while we're actually leaving our house? Doesn't that feel weird? I remember what the outdoors look like. <laughs> I, I was starting to forget for a little while. No, it's great. Yes, it feels good to be able to actually get out, move around a little. I got to ask you what a health and fitness nerd does for fun when you're locked away at home. So during the darkest early days of, of that whole coronavirus thing, what happened in the Poli residence? <laughs> well, I was on the phone the whole time with all of my clients <laughs> talking with them. Uh, you know, it's interesting. <clears throat> and I've always done this. My wife makes fun of me. I'm a chronic pacer when I talk. So I probably got more steps in in the early days of this whole pandemic than I ever have in my life, talking on the phone, holding it up to my ear with my headset, wearing a hole in the floor in my living room back and forth. No, um, you know, there was a run on dumbbells in America. There, there, you couldn't find anything anywhere. So we were fortunate. One of our gym locations, I was able to borrow some dumbbells from and have just the basics. But you can do so much with just your own body weight, a couple soup cans, a few water bottles, and you can actually get a good workout going. You don't need any of the high-tech stuff. It's, that's a luxury. But that's what the early days looked like. That's actually funny that you say that because I have a question. I wasn't going to lead off with this, Angelo, but I have a question specifically about that. Somebody did ask about setting up a home gym. We already answered that. But but Clayton asks this question. And by the way, everybody, I got these questions from our Facebook group, The Basement. If you want to join us there, you like a lot of bad dad jokes and financial talk. And every once in a while, we'll talk health and fitness with Angelo. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement, and that'll give you the link because it's a big, ugly link to get there. But stackingbenjamins.com forward slash basement, and Gertrude will uh, approve you getting in and joining us. But anyway, Clayton asked this question. He says, can hiking with a heavy pack be an effective substitute for lifting weights if none are available and or what are the best ways to use a backpack with books or water bottles or the like in the place of weight? So right where you were headed, Angelo. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of people that would make an argument that that's going to even be a more demanding and functional style of exercise. Now, here's the difference. The difference is if you're looking to put an inch and a half on your biceps, hiking with a backpack is not going to do that. It is absolutely going to tax your cardiovascular system. It is absolutely going to challenge and force your musculature system to adapt and become better at stamina. And your lower body will improve in strength and conditioning. But it's not going to have the specificity to overload an individual muscle group in a short enough time to be highly 
hypertrophic. So that's the big difference. And that's really, the, I think, the question that Clayton's asking is it is a great conditioning workout. It's not a hypertrophic workout. So if you want it to also be a hypertrophic workout, then you have to stop on that hike. Now, hypertrophic means muscle growth. You have to stop on that hike, drop down, do a few sets of push-ups, and then you can continue. And then every mile or so, give me a set of push-ups. Now, you're going to actually see muscular growth in the upper body in addition to the incredible conditioning results that you're going to get out of a hike with a backpack. I used to be part of a uh, nonprofit board which built hiking walking trails around Texarkana, but the city that we worked with set up these exercise stations. So it sounds like if, if Clayton goes out for a walk and just every so often does a few exercises. I, I don't know about touching the station. I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> but it sounds like that's kind of the same vein. That's it. I mean, that, that is what circuit training is all about. You're doing a aerobic activity and then breaking that up with a contrasting muscular movement. So every so often, stop your hike, do squats. Then the next time, stop, do crunches. And the next time, stop, do push-ups, rinse and repeat. You have a great circuit training session, and you get to be outside while you're doing it. When you were here about a month ago, I, uh, I really mobbed you with a lot of questions about uh, exercise. And we obviously started today with exercise. But I want to pivot for a little bit today to the diet piece of the equation. Kevin asked a question that you've got to hear all the time because – I think lately we've been trained to think this. Kevin asks, are carbs evil? No, absolutely not. We kind of talk about, so this we'd almost have to have a whole show on. We could go back to, you know, high fructose corn syrup, how American food industry changed, how the advent of the automobile actually changed the energy demand system of our bodies since we now walk less. And so the whole topic came to a head in that we determined that basically our bodies have too much sugar if we are minimally active. So therefore, we vilified carbohydrates. Now, it is true that if you are at a plateau, if you are trying to lose weight, minimizing carbohydrates can be a very potent tool in forcing your body through a plateau. But it should be used as a tool versus thought of as all the time, all carbohydrates are bad for you. You do need to eat your fruits and your vegetables. You do want to have these sort of nutrients in in your life long term, even if you do sporadically drop their quantity, if you're working towards a specific goal, big picture, I always like to see people somewhere in a balanced meal plan. Gertrude asks a question, another one that everybody hears all the time. We hear carbs are evil all the time, but Gertrude asks, people say eating healthy is more expensive. You hear that all the time. Is that true or is that a myth? It can be true, for sure. It, it depends on your tastes. And here's why. Because eating healthy is more expensive. What does healthy mean to you? So every single person has a different definition of that. 
So there's a lot of ways where simply eating naturally and avoiding junk food saves people money. In fact, generally speaking, I argue that most of my clients save money when they look at their budget because they've spent less money eating out. They spend less money in activities and day-to-day ways they don't realize they were spending. If you just do a tally, how much did you spend at the coffee shop, at Starbucks, grabbing something on the go? It really adds up. Now, yes, it might be that quality meats, vegetables are more expensive at the grocery store, but that's no match for what you pay at restaurants and if you're eating out a lot. So it all depends on where you land on that, what is healthy and what is not. Now, how much value are you going to put on your health? How much are you going to pay in medical expenses? How much? So this becomes more of a philosophical conversation. So my argument is, while I don't think anyone could subjectively say it's this much more expensive to eat healthy, I think that rationally we can look at the topic as a whole and say that there is definite value and savings to be had in staying healthy. I'm going to talk about that a second myself here, Angelo, even though I am not an expert, but I'll just tell you this. Number one, we don't have Angelo on because I'm a MetPro client, but the reason I'm a MetPro client is for the reason that we have Angelo on. So it's the, the, the opposite. I want to work with people that are smart about what they do. I want to work with top people in the industry. So I'm a, I'm a MetPro client. So saying that, I could say, Gertrude, that that what I found personally was that as my coach, Jesse, worked with me, meal planning, I mean, to, to second exactly what you're saying, Angelo, between meal planning and the meal batching and the less waste, I have so much less waste now. My, my refrigerator, I fill it, I go through it, and then I fill it again, and I go through it. And frankly, I don't feel it like I used to. My refrigerator is much more lean because I don't have a lot of just-in-case foods anymore. It is planning ahead of time. I know what I'm going to eat. I know the time frames I'm going to eat in. I know how long it is until that food's going to go bad. And even though it's fresh, because I know all that, I can also batch grocery shop. So I can buy, you know, the bigger, as an example, I, I buy the big old thing of chicken. Right. <laughs> I, I buy the big old thing of chicken because I know I'm going to eat a bunch of chicken and then I freeze a bunch of it and then I take pieces of it at a time and I, I grill some that are going to last me for a little while. But it's that batching for me, Angelo, that is a cost savings as much as to your point, not going out to eat as much. Of course, we can't go out to eat anyway. So. Right. And that, that's the unique circumstance that we're in right now. So it is a perfect opportunity to try some of these strategies. I have people say, well, you know, this whole food prep and meal batching, you know, that's for bodybuilders or that's for the fitness elitists. And that's only if you're doing it wrong. It's for anyone interested in saving time. Now, the first time you do it, yeah, it'll take you a few minutes because it's all new. But once you get it down to a routine, Oh, the amount of time you get back on the back end, yeah. it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I have a very busy day. And uh, and frankly, when I'm making all the food at one time, it's this nice time for me to put on a podcast, listen to something, get my head off work a little bit. I'm not listening to Stacking Benjamins. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm totally listening to Tim Ferriss or something else, but a good there time. Go. Uh, our next question comes to us from Kathy, because Kathy had... Angela, Kathy had a misunderstanding. You know, she thought that this was the quarantine 15, but we keep calling it the COVID-19. So she's wondering if she should catch up to the 19 before she starts her weight loss plan. 
<laughs> Somebody sent me a, a meme or a picture the other day of this guy with his shirt off and muscular called Protein, and then a guy even more ripped, you know, called Creatine, and then a guy that was 75 pounds overweight with zero tan, Quarantine. Quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Kurt asks this question, and Kurt. I've known Kurt for a little while virtually. He's been in our, our Facebook group for a while, so he's got a great sense of humor. But he's also, I think, being really serious, and a lot of people fight this. He says, how do I stop myself from hitting up Chinese delivery? It's literally on speed dial. And you know what he's talking about, Angelo. I mean, you yeah. have great intentions. It's in the afternoon. You're tired. DoorDash is going to bring it right to my door. How do I get past that? You know, with scenarios like this, I like to talk a lot about how I work when parents hire me to work with their kids. For years, I have consulted even for how to help adolescents and youths get healthy, in some, in some cases out of some tricky circumstances. Everyone agrees in those scenarios that the emphasis needs to not be on avoidance, but on proactive. So in other words, we don't go down the list of, hey, Junior, you don't get to have chocolate. You don't get to have that. You don't. No, we focus on, hey, Junior, after school each day, we're going to have a healthy snack. We're going to take this proactive stance and get active each morning by doing X, Y, Z exercise. And what happens is taking that proactive stance will crowd out the others. Naturally, Junior ends up eating less chocolate, eating less this, that, or the other. Yet as adults, we don't think that applies to us sometimes. <laughs> and, but it does. It absolutely does. And I completely hear you, Clayton, because I love Chinese takeout. It is my favorite in the world. But I noticed that the days that I succumb to things like that, there's a pattern. I've been busy. I didn't have any healthy snacks in the afternoon. Usually I've gone seven or eight hours without eating. My blood sugar is low. I'm craving and I want something salty and quick and convenient now. It's rarely on the days where I've been consistent and ate a clean lunch and I had a prepared simple afternoon snack. Those days, yeah, I'd still go for it. But I usually have the willpower to go, you know, I'm going to stick with my clean meal and my plan and what I already have prepared in the fridge. I find it much easier. Yeah. So stop thinking about Chinese delivery and just start thinking about the proactive stuff. The proactive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, I'm going to skip ahead here. Gina asks a question because you were talking about working with people's kids. Gina's a great question. Back to exercise. What are your favorite exerciser activities. We're all at home together now a lot. Favorite exerciser activities to do with young kids, parents and young kids together. You know, I'm going to surprise you here. I think I am actually a big fan of some of the active video games out there for kids these days. They have a whole suite of sports you can play that actually get your body moving. Of course, any activity, you know, you can do outside in the backyard or even just make some space in the living room is going to be great as a formal exercise strategy. But I had a young gal that I worked with. She was an absolute sweetheart, but she struggled in staying consistent. Do you know, we were able to take 50 pounds off by finding 
a game that she liked. And again, it doesn't have to be a video game, but it was an activity that she liked that got her active to where her mind was off of it. And she was just playing and having fun. For younger ones, I would say early teens, that's why I usually suggest finding a sporting activity that they like over, not instead of, but in tandem with and maybe even slightly higher priority than a formal exercise routine because then it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like fun and activity. And I would say that definitely applies uh, during this time of quarantine or in the house. Find some activity that is fun, a game that also requires movement and it won't feel like effort. I love that. Just how gamification wins when you're trying to do better with your money. It's the same with exercise. Yep, absolutely. And I think about that a lot, Angelo, when I go back to the question you answered earlier about it works with kids, but we don't think it works with adults. Yet I find that when I sign up for, well, back in the day, it was a 5K, but lately it's been when I sign up for a marathon or a half marathon, I get really flipping serious about my exercise and diet. The psychological, I mean, that the whole process of committing to something, verbalizing it, signing, I'm putting my name, my reputation on the line, I am going to do this. Potent, that's very powerful. And that's, you know, one of the things that we find in in coaching and, and in psychology. Now within that, at MetPro, we find there's different variations. So we kind of categorize people into three buckets and that we all readily admit it's an oversimplification and everyone qualifies for each of these buckets at different times. But one thing we do is we say, well, is this a person who is motivated by a strong support system? Or is this a person who is motivated more by knowing the details, the why, the how everything behind it works? Or this is someone who is motivated mostly by a challenge in their life. And like I said, everybody falls into these three buckets at different points. Sure. But the action isn't any different. The coaching is. So I'll, I'll have the same conversation with three of my different clients. You know, And for Johnny, it's, hey, Johnny, I saw what you ate for lunch yesterday. And I just want you to know I noticed and I'm so proud of you. You've done a great job. We talked about it and you followed through. And then I called Eddie and I say, hey, Eddie, I saw what you had for lunch. I want to tell you, you did a really good job. And here's why this is going to work. Because remember, we talked about that specific combination of protein and carbohydrate with the amount of fiber that you're getting at this time of day is going to solve that blood sugar issue and is helping you with the weight loss. But he likes to know the, the why yeah, behind yeah, it. And then, yeah. I call, then I call Jerry and I say, hey, Jerry, guess what I ate yesterday for lunch? Now, see if you can do better. <laughs> Same direction, right? I'm having them all eat the same thing for lunch. But it, psychologically, that motivation and that accountability piece is huge. And that dovetails all back into what you said about signing up to you know, run a marathon or do yeah. an event. It's that commitment level and having someone else there that's going to hold you accountable to that. Uh, Lillette asks, she is trying to lose weight and she says, diet or exercise? If you're trying to lose weight, which one of those two is more important? So you have to do both, but diet is going to move the dial. The answer to that is diet, but I diet is hampered in the absence of exercise if there's no exercise present. So here is specifically their roles. Your diet is going to dictate what size person you are. 
Your exercise is going to dictate what composition of person you are. Also, the exercise is going to push back against the natural adaptive process. So your metabolism's job is to adapt to what you eat. If there's more food, it speeds up. If there's less food, it slows down. If that wasn't the case, you'd have to keep a constant equilibrium of what you eat. Otherwise, you'd endlessly gain or lose weight. So your metabolism acclimates. So in the case of weight loss, you're probably acclimating it to eating less. Your metabolism then starts slowing down to compensate to keep you alive. If you exercise, it can't slow down as fast, has a much harder job slowing down. So a more accurate statement would be to say, well, I'm, I want to lose 10 pounds. Do I diet or do I exercise? Well, here's what's going to happen. If you diet, you're going to start losing two pounds a week, but you may continue losing two pounds a week for a longer consecutive amount of weeks before your body plateaus if you're also exercising. Mm. However, adding exercise may only increase your weight loss marginally on a per week basis. But what you may not be realizing is you quite likely will have plateaued from any weight loss you are going to get out of the diet if the exercise isn't present. But if one of my celebrity type clients came to me and says, I have this role or I have to be on the red carpet or I have to show up for this event on Tuesday and I need to drop six pounds, we're not talking about the elliptical that they're going to be using for the next four days. We're talking about what we're going to, how we're going to modify their nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. This next question, which I think unfortunately has to be our last one. I got so many good questions here for you, but th th these Great questions, guys. By the way, everybody who sent these in, thank you so much for helping me present Joe these. Me sweat. I, I still haven't, but I got to tell you, I thought Angelo. I mean, all these questions are important, but this is this is one I think that is specifically in your wheelhouse, and it comes from Vincent. He said he's actually down ten pounds over the last three months with lots of body weight strength and running workouts. He says, and this is where I thank you, Mr. Workout Nerd. You're going to love this. He says, but my body fat's not decreasing at a similar pace. It's only gone from 17 to 14 and a half. He said, I'm making sure that I'm eating enough protein. I'm monitoring my calories in. What am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. Uh, it, we're just doing math wrong. <laughs> so I, I actually have a calculator out. So, okay. So let's see 17. I, I actually actually do that in, in my head. If you've dropped from 17 down to 14% body fat, here's what you're not calculating in. The goal isn't zero. Once you reach 0% body fat, you're dead. So you're not trying to go to zero, <laughs> but maybe you're trying to get under 10%. Maybe you're trying to get to nine. That means that you've lost 10 pounds, but you've lost half of the body fat you have to lose, mm. which means you're doing great. Don't stop. You're on the right track. It's easy to think percentage for percentage. Yeah, so I lose right. a pound, I should lose a percent. Well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, I have a client who 
you know, he starts at 400 pounds, we got to take 25 off of him before he can even see the difference. Uh, Whereas I I have some folks that, you know, I I can look at them and tell if they had Chinese food the night before, you know, because they're already so lean and at that point. So if you've gone from 17.5% body fat, forgive me if I'm off a little here, but I think you said about 17.5 down to 14 and lost 10 pounds, you are doing magnificent. Now, if you're not happy about the amount of lean mass you're adding to your frame, then simply pause the fat loss, recalibrate your diet to include a little bit more protein, a little bit more carbohydrates, a little more overall caloric intake while maintaining your body fat or your body weight for a few weeks, incorporate a little more resistance training, then go back to another cutting cycle if you want to get even leaner still. And that's the that's the principle of adaption. You create contrast, you force your body to kind of shock itself into direction again to bust through that plateau. But it sounds to me like you're making great progress. I thought you'd have fun with that one. <laughs> I so did. I just, I just like people don't know this, but we've got the greatest uh, shortwave that my dad has. This only shortwave radio has video, and it's funny watching Angelo's eyes light up. This is the only time that I'm sad that it's only an audio podcast because because <laughs> you he, you are such a nerd about this stuff. It is so awesome. I am. Yes, I, am. I love it. <laughs> if, if 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 only you had a company where there were a bunch of nerds that would help people do this stuff, Angelo. Oh uh, no, that sounds too stressful for me. I couldn't. Do it. <laughs> No, and I tell people, because people ask me, how did you start MetPro? I tell them, I didn't. I didn't have, you know, today I'm going to start a company and we're going to help train people. We're going to help be a transformation company. I didn't. It just just happened over time. And I'm glad it did because I'm having, you know, I have a ball with it. I love what I do. Which is is why I like working with you. And by the way, uh, where, you know, we'll have authors on, they have books. We have uh, different people on. They have different cool things. Angelo's cool thing is this. He will give you a complimentary meeting with a coach and a metabolic assessment if you head to metpro.co slash SB. So thanks for doing that for us, Angelo. Thanks so much for having me back, Joe. This is too fun. And uh, guys, we're going to do this again in the fall. We're going to get ready for the season change again. We'll have Angelo back. So watch out for that thread in the basement. All right, Angelo, stay out of trouble, man. Thanks for having me. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And today is an electric day indeed, because today is Nikola Tesla's birthday. No, no, no. That's Elon Musk, the other guy that you're thinking about. But Tesla was an engineer and a scientist known for designing an alternating current electric system, which is actually the main system used across the world today. But of course, we know why you misunderstood. You probably thought about those fancy cars named in his honor. Don't you think I'd just like look amazing in one of those? Wouldn't that just radiate success? Wouldn't you get a charge out of seeing me behind the wheel of one of those sweet Teslas? Let's all get the current of today's trivia. So here's a good question related to all that. In what year was Nikola Tesla born? I'll be back faster than you can do the electric slide. 
Well, for those of you who are new to the show, we are doing a year-long trivia competition to see who can uh, get closest between our three usual contributors. And Len is the only person representing himself today. So, uh, Jen, you're going to be playing on behalf of Paula Pant. So you are the Paula Pant stand-in. There's good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? Uh, I'll take the bad news. The bad news is Paula's sucking this year. That's the bad news. The good news is, though, that means you're going to get to guess first whether you go first in the middle or last. So would you rather guess first in the middle or last? Uh, I will go last um, as long as you don't expect me to do any better than Paula has. All right, deal. The, the bar's pretty low, Jen, this year. I don't know if <laughs> Paula, I think, is holding back, waiting, maybe waiting for your appearance to make it turn around. Uh, uh, Doc, you're playing on behalf of OG. I don't think you're nearly salty enough, but we're going to go with it. OG has nine. Len has nine, but OG got there lately. Len has been in the lead. So that means that you get to decide second. Do you want to guess in the middle or first? I think I'm going to give Len a break and I'll guess in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Doc. I'm I'm worried about you. You know, I know you have to deal with salty OG every time, all the time. So (laughs) that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. All right. So that means, uh, Mr. Penzo, you're going first. Uh, Nikola Tesla's birthday, it was today. But uh, what year was it? That's a good question. Uh, let's see. I believe man, he was already inventing at the turn of the century. I think he died in the 30s. I think he died kind of young, relatively. Uh, I'm going to say 1879. 1879. Make it 1877. 1877. 77. 77. All right. So that would mean he died uh, somewhere, what, then, in his 60s-ish? Yeah, I thought he died in his 50s or 60s, yeah, early, late 50s, early 60s. All right. Well, then, Doc? You know, I should have never let you go first because I was I, I had 1876 was in my head. I was like <laughs> – I'm going with 1876. That's going to be it. And you do 1876. That's America's birthday, Doc. Come on. Ah, all right. I'm going to do here. I'll do, um, I'll do 1865. 1865. I can't believe you let Len talk you out of that. <laughs> Did you really just let Len pressure you? Mr. Penzo, you're hey. such a bully. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, Jen, you've got 1865 for Doc slash OG and 1877 for Len. So... What are you thinking? Uh, I still have no idea, but I'm glad we let the engineer go first because I wouldn't have my, my thought process. I was thinking like early 1800s. That's pretty close, Jen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's closest without going over, so I just no, have no, to no, no. Those rules no. are out the window. Yes, yes, we what? got we got pushback on that from very seriously upset people. No, I'm kidding. What? But but we did change the rules. It's just closest now. <laughs> it is closest. Oh, man. Yes. Sorry. Uh, Welcome back, Jen. It has been a while. It has. Yeah. <laughs> I had a child. Um I'll go 1851. 1851. Wow, we got uh, we got some Sorry, interesting Paul. 
1851, 1865, 1877. We'd love to tell you right now, but um, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this instead. Hola, welcome to Spanish Made Easy with me, your host, Jen Hemphill from the Her Dinero Matters podcast. Today, I'm joined by the host of the popular How to Money podcast, Matt Altmix. And together, we will share a popular and simple Spanish phrase so you too can use it in your own life. Sound easy? Sure. Today's phrase is Tony. I'm not sure your life insurance benefit is high enough for you to pound tequila like that. In Spanish, you would say this popular phrase just like this. Tony, no creo que el pago de tu seguro de vida es lo suficientemente alto como para que tomes tequila de esa manera. Now let's hear the co-host of How to Money, Matt. Try it. Ready, Matt? All right, guys, you chose the right man for the job. Here we go. Tony, no creo que el pago de tu segura de vida es lo suficientemente alto como para que tomos tequila de esa manera. That was, that was just perfect. Perfect. See how we sound almost exactly alike? You too can speak Spanish easily and comfortably listening to Stacking Benjamins. See you next time. Ciao. All right, Len, you went first, 1877. Now that you see everybody else's guesses, what are you thinking? This is mine to win. Oh, oh, oh that's a little confident. <laughs> I, was, I was worried Jen was going to do the 1878 thing, and that would have really screwed me over. But no, I, I think this is mine. It's in the bag. Doc, you going to beat on your chest like Len just beat on his? <laughs> no, this might be Len's because 1876 was my original guess. But who knows? I've been I'm usually right when I think I'm wrong and vice versa. Boy, Jen, then I think it'd be just absolutely hilarious if they were way off. <laughs> I don't think there's any possible way that they would be way off, but I would, yeah, I would laugh. Well, guess what? I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but Doug has the answer. Did I really say that out loud? But Doug, it's, it's you, man. What is the answer? Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Electric sliding back into your trivia in honor of Nikola Tesla's B-Day. Also, to uh, honor Mr. Tesla, I think that this here podcast should treat their poster boy to one of those new Tesla Cybertrucks, don't you? By the way, uh, have you seen those things? They are sweet! Nearly as cool as my El Camino, but uh, you know, you probably can't get them in purple with white leather interior, but... Those things never need gas, so that makes up for it. They're amazing. I can just plug it in at Joe's mom's house, and I have all the fuel I'll ever need. Here's why getting me a Tesla is a great idea. First, it's the number one step to cleaning up the air, people. Hashtag Doug 2020. And what better way to show you're successful than by showing me buying stuff? 
Everyone knows that. It's basic politics. Hey, Joe and OG, you're basically investing in your own success here. Also, not to wield a big stick, but you got to think for a moment about the message you're sending to both listeners if you don't give me a Cybertruck. While I let that sink in, let's sink in to today's trivia. The question was, in what year was Nikola Tesla born? Would you believe that Tesla was born in Croatia, was never fully appreciated in his time, and died poor and reclusive at the age of 86 in New York City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when was he born? That was a happier day, way back in July 10th of 1856. We can give this podcast a happy ending, too, and honor Tesla by getting me a great car. Say it with me now. Get Doug a Tesla. Get Doug a Tesla. Get Doug. You get the idea. See ya. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess with the new rules, that puts me closest, right? You're still, you're closest either way. Wow. Even oh, with, yeah. Yes. Welcome to math, Jen. You're yeah. closest. Is that the metric years or is that, <laughs> is that, uh, it's, oh, I'm telling you, it's, it's, she has more hair. It gives you intelligence. <laughs> it's a, the lack of hair from the rest of us. That's really, it's stunting our brain. But here's the amazing thing. Len, when you started off by saying he died in the thirties. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I, I was thought, pretty sure of that. I yeah. thought you were and, headed and I, that way. No, well, I I did, but I thought he died young. So that's the thing. I I know he died like penniless, but I thought he died like at a young age, a relatively well, young the, age. So I that was my screw up. My appara- bad. Apparently, like you and I, he just looked young. That's, <laughs> right. the, that's the deal. The three of us, you and I and Mr. Tesla, all look young. Hey guys, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. You know what happens, Jen, when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money? What happens, Joe? It is so amazing, Jen. You find that those financial products you use every day, if you're at a brick and mortar bank, especially nowhere near best in class, over 92% of the products available online all ranked at Magnify Money. People ask all the time in our uh, Facebook group, The Basement, about interest rates and, hey, where can I find great interest rates on a savings account? And uh, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you'll find almost every single one ranked right there. And so you can keep on top of that, but also on top of debt consolidation loans, 0% cards if you want to play what we call the surfing game down to 0% cards, checking accounts for no fees, all the other products you use every day, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. You know, I want to do this. I want to get your take on something I asked Twitter a couple weeks ago. And that's this, for those of you that used to be bad with money, what inspired you to change? Doc, you were here, I think a couple weeks ago, when we talked about you've never been bad with money, right? Mostly. I had pretty good financial behavior modeled from my parents. Okay. And Len has been another poster child. I find these people annoying. Jen, tell me that at one point you were bad with money. Mm. I am here. I'm here to give you the money realness. Thank Um, you. When I graduated college, I was like broke as a joke. And my friends were like, we want to go on a cruise. I was like, oh, I don't have any money. And then I discovered credit cards. And so you could still take your cruise. Yeah. And it was great. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I, yeah, I had no clue about any money growing up. We didn't have any, we didn't spend any. So, but, but, but that, that wasn't the lesson. <laughs> I could right? just pop it on a card. Now I got $86,000 <laughs> in credit card debt. I feel great. Yeah. But it wasn't until I got engaged that I decided to change. Like I always knew so I had over like $50,000 of student loan and credit card debt and obviously didn't want to be in debt, but I just didn't feel like I could get out of debt. I didn't even make that in a year so that I was just really hopeless. But when I got engaged, my fiance now husband was really committed to paying off his student loans. He had just graduated. And so it wasn't until he got me thinking about what we could do with our future and started looking at the math with like a dual income. And that was the nail in the coffin of my credit cards. Was it uh, at least my overspending on them? Well, there's two pieces of this, Jen, and I'm wondering which one it was, or maybe it was both. On one hand, I could, I could imagine it could be a little shame, right? Saying, Hey, although I'm awesome, I also come with this debt package, Right. So on one hand, there's that shame. On the other hand, there's the excitement because it sounds like your husband really excited about money and you got excited. So was it the was it the carrot or the stick that changed? I think it was the carrot because initially my answer was like, no, or like have fun. But it was him kind of asking me and like getting out of me what I wanted to do beyond the next two weeks, like what I wanted to do long term. And so that's where I got the idea that I wanted to be a stay-at-home parent or at least have a flexible job because eventually like we want to foster as well. So wrapping my mind around that stuff and realizing if I like having debt would make fostering even harder than it already is. And so if I have the flexibility, then I can, I can do more, but that requires paying off our debt. I love that. That goes back to the Morgan Housel thing about money buying you flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, for Len and Doc, for you guys, I want to change the question a little bit. There must have been times when you got some big financial aha, though, right? You're a different saver now than you were at 20, let's say, or 25. Len, what's a pivot point that you remember in your saving journey that made, made you maybe look at money differently than you had in the past? Well... I, this is always controversial when I bring these up, so I'm not trying to be controversial, but <laughs> do we need the doom and gloom you know, music? I used to be, this is, I'm going to get into this, this, you know, I used to be big on paying down the mortgage. You know, I'd make at least one or two extra mortgage payments uh, a year until about 2010. And then I saw how much money was being printed and I said, you know what? And I, you know, did some research and ran the numbers and I just determined for myself that it was better to not pay down the mortgage early and use that money for something else invested elsewhere. So that was a that was a huge that was a huge paradigm shift in how I saved, you know, allocated my excess money. Because you can use because you can use a dollar today better than you can by putting it into the mortgage. Yeah, and a, you know, and I determined that, you know, the on a long-term loan, you know, the dollars, why use, why give those dollars away, which are worth more now than they'd be 30 years from now? You know, let, let me, let me use those more 
valuable dollars today to invest it somewhere else. And, and that way, 30 years down the road or 20 years down the road, I'll just use cheaper dollars to pay off my mortgage. So, Which is yeah, interesting, like Len, because so many people have that point of view, and I like that point of view, of uh, setting up a separate fund, right, where that you, that you save into, that you pay off the mortgage early fund if you decide to do it. They just don't exactly. have the doom and gloom attached to it that you do. <laughs> you're, 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 well, let's, well, let's put it this way. I have the ability to pay off my mortgage anytime I want. Right. The money is there. If I want to pay off my mortgage tomorrow, I can pay off my mortgage. But instead, I've right now it's working in other ways for me. So, Which is awesome. During my career, we did that many times. I helped people do that same thing back when I was a planner, and they would never pay it off. When they had the money there sitting, enough money for the mortgage, they saw how much faster it was growing than it was toward the loan. But just having the ability to pay it off whenever they wanted to was enough. It was just enough. Right. The fact that There's I can do- There's your peace of mind. Yes. It's, it's the same peace of mind as, as saying, well, my mortgage is paid off. Well, I have this as much peace of mind knowing I can pay it off yeah. when I want. So Yeah. And yet OG on the other side, you know, talks to people. I, I think you got to know yourself. Because there's some people that will never save it. They'll never actually save that money someplace else. They'll just blow it. So for those people, hell, put it toward the mortgage because it's 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 much better. Uh, Doc, what was a pivot point for you? I had an amazingly poignant pivot point back in 2014. I was a practicing physician. And like I said, I had really great financial behavior modeled from my parents. So I saved a lot of money. I even owned real estate. And I had a stock portfolio and bonds, et cetera, but I didn't understand money at all. And I didn't understand money management. And at that time, as a practicing physician, I had a blog where I was writing about medicine and I got a phone call from this guy named Jim Dolly, who had written a book called The White Coat Investor. And it was about managing money for physicians. And he wanted me to read it and put up a review on my website. And so I got the book. It took me about three or four hours to read it. And it really changed my financial life. It gave me the vocabulary to understand all these great money moves that my parents had taught me. But I had no overall financial plan. I didn't understand this concept of what is enough money? How much money do I need for my goals? And it really freed me up to understand the money side enough that I could start focusing on all that stuff that we were talking about before that money could buy me, which was time and a little bit more purpose and meaning in my life. So that's the who, Jim Dolly, White Coat Investor, and the what, the book. But what was the why inside of the book? So it came to me by luck because he sent it to me and asked me to read it. It wasn't something I picked no, up no, on no, my no. own. No, 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 no. I actually mean, what's the why inside of the book that made you go, wow? Because it sounds like, I mean, he just, he gave you framework, but I don't know what that framework is that made, that was uh, paradigm shifting. So to give you a little background, I was at this point in my career where I was burned out and stressed out and had been trying to think of ways of shoring up and understanding my finances so I could pull away from work. So what he taught me specifically in the book was how to understand your finances, how to understand this concept of what is financial independence, what is enough, how you calculate how much money you need to exist. I hadn't even even looked at my own personal budget at that point. I hadn't even looked at how much do I spend a month. It wasn't even something that had entered my consciousness. 
So the why was that I was in this place in life where I was ready to change, pull away from medicine and start living for me would be a more meaningful life. And he gave me the vocabulary to help me understand technically how to do that. We asked a bunch of people on Twitter the same question. Uh, Kelly at The Sensible Life said the previous recession, 2008, 2009, I think seeing destruction all over the place changed it for a lot of people. Ty Marie at uh, PPG 5000 said an old boss who always asked me if I was saving. I said no. And then I got away from other people who were bad with money. All of a sudden realized that I needed to change the crowd of people that I was that I was hanging out with. I also found uh, Joe talks about a guy a lot of people do. I think Dave Ramsey changed it for them. I think Dave is, uh, no matter what you feel about Dave, man, Dave's changed a lot of lives. Our friend Dana, who's been on this show before at Money Over 55, she's a CPA, said, my profession. She said, but seriously, I had to practice what I preach. I remember that my first years as a financial planner, being a financial planner who had no money. I ran out of gas on my way to a financial planning meeting. And I was searching, actually on the way home from a financial planning meeting, and I was searching in the in the old minivan seats for nickels and quarters or whatever so I could get enough gas to get home. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm advising other people about their money, and I am dead flat broke. So that was it. Uh, Tim says something that I think is a lot of people, a fear of growing old and eating cat food. But I would say, Tim, like Len says to his kids, if it's fancy feast, they're probably good. I mean, it's not that... Jen, it's not that Prina cat chow stuff. Fancy feast. Yeah, there's a reason it's fancy. I'm gonna, I'm passing that on to my kid. I was taking notes. I, I seriously want. Has, has Tim tried it? Because you know, until you got these people, until you try it, don't knock it. Yeah, I've never had a cat, so I haven't tried it either. But I just assume. Len, what I mean, what do your kids think? <laughs> they love it. <laughs> I will say this. You know, it's not fancy feast. But did I, this is just a, a quick aside. Is it, I think I've told you this. I check my food stores every, you know, as the bunker, I have lots of canned food. You know, you got to check your food stores, your canned food to make sure that it's good. So I opened up a 10-year-old can of Chef Boyardee ravioli, and it it didn't look quite as good as it would normally, but it, it was just as delicious as if it was a fresh can right off the supermarket shelf. When and usually when it doesn't... Len, usually when it doesn't look good, you don't find out how it tastes. <laughs> it was just darker. The color was off a little bit, but it was fine. And a lot to be said about the quality overall. Yes. Hey, and, and how many people right now are saying, hey, that Penzo guy, look at that. What kind of – most people store yes. you know, canned vegetables and, and Penzo storing Chef Boyardee ravioli. So, and and I got to tell you, from the cleansing Len got the next couple of days, he lost ten pounds. <laughs> Double bonus. It was incredible. Uh, I want to end this discussion with one. My favorite one of all these, by the way, was from Mrs. Miller. It's Mrs. Miller on fire. Uh, Mrs. Miller wrote, realizing that instead of owning stuff, I could build a legacy. It seems so obvious to some, but I had no idea the option was available to me. I thought that was pretty. I think a lot of people in stuff culture instead of like, wow, I could build something bigger. So thanks to everybody who answered guys. Thanks for playing that. If you want to participate, I'm asking these questions all the time on Twitter, average show money on Twitter, and let's chat over there. Or if you want to ask a question specifically of our panel, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And we're also happy to answer there too. Guys, that's going to do it for today, man. That was fun. We'll let our guest of honor go last uh, Mr. Penzo, what's happening at lenpenzo.com? 
Yes, at the uh, persistentitch.com, our sister site, or lenpenzo.com, either one. Five product upgrades and services that probably aren't worth paying more for. Oh, so you're saying don't get the premium blinker fluid. Just yes, go with the regular right. not, not blinker the fancy, fluid. Not, not fancy feast, uh, you know. <laughs> right. Deluxe, gourmet fancy feast. Deluxe yes, fancy feast. Fancy feast. That's correct. Yeah, you don't need the fancy feast in the pouches. the The tin is good enough. Yes, and now that now that there's now that you've just given that one away, there's four left. So it's still <laughs> worth coming over to my blog and seeing what the other four are. Let's Thanks, look at Joe. it. Let's look at it. Be like, shut up. <laughs> but, hey, Doc, what's happening at that amazing Earn and Invest podcast? Well, first and for, foremost, July 10th is my birthday. Of course it is. So, so today. Wait, wait, wait know, a minute. You, you you wait till the end of the show to tell us that you're hanging out with us on your birthday. Well, you know this aging thing. I keep on worrying that I'm going to get as old as Len. So I, you know, I I, I don't talk about it a lot. But <laughs> you you and Nick Tesla sharing a birthday. Yes, we do. And I, you know, I, I think about that all the time. Unfortunately, I didn't know the year that he was born. <laughs> but, but, but what's the thing mom says, doc, fool me once, you know? Yeah. Uh, all right. I was born a little bit after him. What, so what's happening at earn and invest besides it being a big party with you on your birthday? So I just dropped an interview with a guy named Meyer Felberg who wrote a book, No Finish Line. He was also the president of Columbia, uh, the business school at Columbia University for quite a number of years. And he's just a really interesting guy with lots of fun stories. Well, that is fantastic. And to hear those fun stories, we had to earn and invest, which I have heard is available wherever finer podcasts are found. Sounds a lot like Joe. What's that? A really interesting guy with lots of lots of great stories. <laughs> but he might have stories where he's not screwing stuff up. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Uh, Doc, uh, uh, we'll link to that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Jen, thanks for coming and joining us. Thanks for bringing some hair to this party. It's fantastic. <laughs> What's happening at both Modern Frugality and at that awesome, awesome Frugal Friends podcast. Yeah. So uh, today we actually have an interview with Rachel Cruz. Rachel who? Yeah, 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 yeah. That one girl, she's like the <laughs> daughter of that one guy. Some dude. Uh, but yeah, we're talking about how to make budgeting work for you. So ways you can make it flexible. And then over on the Modern Frugality YouTube channel, uh, how to make cooking a habit. So we talk a lot about meal planning and saving on groceries, but following through with meal planning is a whole other beast. So, Boy, it, and, yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you, especially now, Jen, that people are starting to get out in some states more and uh, society seems to be resuming. Like I can feel the restaurant budget going back up and eating at home was so fun. That was like a fun part of of the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah. Dishes are not fun, but eating at home has been good. So if we can make it a habit, even when the restaurants are open and the businesses are back, then those little long term, those little things you do long term, it's going to make you wealthy. Well, that's why you had a kid, right? Was uh, maybe what, two more years until until he's doing dishes? 
Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. Partly why we had one uh, and that in the entertainment, but now I'm realizing Netflix is actually cheaper. So it was just as you know, you don't make good decisions every time. We made a horrible mistake. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. And he's growing like a weed. We were saying before we hit record that, uh, I can't, I, I feel like he was just born. He was, and now he's in the 98th percentile for his weight. He's large and in charge. Well, Len brags about that, too. (laughs) (laughs) And he loses it. I'm sorry. (laughs) Why is that awesome at like a year old, but it's not awesome when you're 56? (laughs) I think maybe it's something that we should bring back in vogue. That's right. Let's walk it around. I'm in the 96th percentile for my weight. (laughs) Hey, oh, all right. I'm sorry. I made myself laugh. That's not good. All right. That means it's time to go, guys. All right. And by the way, this ends our last uh, recording in our basement in Michigan. So thanks for hanging out with us on uh, Doc's birthday and uh, my last day here. So, all right, Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure, Joe. I'll electrify things by telling folks what they should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our roundtable. We can't go back in time and correct past mistakes, but we can learn from the past and learn from others to avoid making the same mistake over and over and over again, like some people. Second, take a lesson from Angelo Poli at MetPro. You can take charge of how you look, and now is the time to do it. But the big takeaway, the results are in. Let me see here. Uh, the guys say that I am, oh, well, this is this is bad news, but it kind of makes a lot of sense. They said that we can't charge the flux capacitor here and that the station is too far away. So, hey, anybody got a flux capacitor cord laying around? Man, those are, that, those are expensive, I bet. That's how they get you. It's with the accessories. That's how they always get you. Big thanks to Jen from Frugal Friends Podcast for joining us on the roundtable. You can find Jen at modernfrugality.com and on the Frugal Friends Podcast, or we'll have a link on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Also, thanks to Angelo Poli for helping us get back on track with our health goals. You'll find resources from our affiliate page at metpro.co slash sb or Yep, you guessed it, on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Len Penzo, the captain of skepticism, appears courtesy of lenpenzo.com. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahy, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor.
Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that doesn't exist. We were in the middle of having a discussion and we realized we need to be recording this because this is gold. We're getting the background on frugal friends. We're actually getting a background, I feel like, on a lot of stuff. So, Jen, you were telling us a story about your pink pop filter, which is mm-hmm. amazing. I'm stuck with just a regular black. But Doc, what color is your pop filter? I don't have a pop filter. I, oh, I prefer oh, oh, whoa. <laughs> and we let you do a whole episode with us? Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> Don't you wear the podcast? That's where the flavor is. It's when I pop those peas. <laughs> that's that's the that's the whole game right there is getting those peas popped. Uh, but anyway, Jen, you were saying that originally Frugal Friends was to help your co-host husband get a job. Yes. So he recommended we start a podcast. And initially I was like, I don't need another thing on my plate. I have a full time job and a full time side job. And he wanted to produce podcasts and he said, start this podcast so that I can use it as my resume to get other podcasting gigs. And I was like, okay, if, if I can do it with Jill, I'll hang out with Jill for an hour. So we started it and it took off and he went to podcast movement in Philly. He did not buy a ticket. He just went and ended up meeting the person that would give him a full-time job editing audio and producing podcasts. And he had his happily ever after. Yep. The two of you were used and and it became a hit show. Yeah. It's probably the most successful part of my business and makes the least amount of income. I got to Len, Len, remember when, when we started stacking Benjamins, cause Len has been there from episode one. Remember when we're, we were like, nobody's going to listen to this crap. <laughs> I remember the, I remember after the first podcast, you said we had 10. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Paula, Paula sends this email. We've told the story before, but Paula sends this, still sends me this email from time to time that remember I sent you guys. When I was, whenever I get down, Paula resends me this email when I got really excited that we had gone from 67 listeners to 69. And I was <laughs> ecstatic. I mean, I was truly ecstatic. And she's like, Joe, just remember these days. Cause, and, and seriously, I can think of a room of 70 people, right? That's a big room. That yeah. is, that is a ton. I mean, the audiences that we talk to with our shows, I don't get that number, but 70 people, that's a, that's a big, big number. Yeah, we were actually recording yesterday and we just started this year putting our episodes on YouTube and recording our faces. And but I don't put on makeup or do my hair or anything for YouTube because only like 20 people listen over there. And then I was like, wait, if I was going to speak in front of a room of 20 people, I would take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) But because it's online and it's in my house, like I just, I'm not going to. But the good news, Jen, is they can't smell you on the internet. So you're. No, they can't. And that's fantastic. Most of them just listen to me and don't see my face. So. Doc, I don't know the story about you and Paul starting Earn and Invest, which used to be called What's Up Next. Like, how did that begin? Because here's the story I want to hear. You and Paul are loaded someplace together. You're hammered. And you guys is like get crazy and start writing on napkins. Kind of. That's not that far from the truth. So we 
we met at a Camp Fi event and we were both going to visit one. And then two weeks later, we were both speaking at another. And so after kind of seeing each other those two weekends together, drinking much too much alcohol and talking a lot, we just decided that we would work together on a podcast really well. Like we just came at things from different, different viewpoints, et cetera. And a bunch of our friends kept pushing us saying, you guys should do a podcast together. You guys should do a podcast together. And we didn't decide though to do panels until we went to FinCon because we were going to meet at FinCon and talk about it. And Paul was like, dude, we got to do panels. We got to recreate what they have at FinCon on a podcast. That was it. It wasn't stealing this Friday show from Stacking Benjamins. That too. And I was like, <laughs> you mean like on Stacking Benjamins? And he was like, yeah, just like that. Exactly. We'll show those losers. I am very open that the format of our show is a direct copy of Stacking Benjamins. <laughs> very open about that. And that's the and part that everybody hates. Oh, and, Paul, and Paul, Paul was like, we can get at least 69 people to listen. So we'll be okay. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> if those losers could get 69 people. Yeah. So, hey, I, I want to tell you guys what I've been up to and I've had people ask and uh, we've there's been so much going on in the universe and the zeitgeist that talking about what's going on with me hasn't been um, hasn't been a priority. But uh, I did tell our audience a while ago that Cheryl and I had this idea she decided that she wanted to, um, for a bunch of various reasons, to look for a different job. And she found that um, for what she does, there are these temporary jobs around the nation. So she would take on a temporary job, work it for six months. And then when the contract was over, we would just go live someplace cool for a month and I would keep working. I really get excited about the idea of working from anywhere. Like, I just think that is so cool. The fact that we can podcast from anywhere. So if I could be someplace with good internet, that's fantastic. So what we did was she ended up finding a job in this little town called Globe, Arizona, and that was going to end at the end of November. And in December, I went on betting that, that COVID is going to be over by December, uh, I, or at least done enough that I can go there. I rented a house in Bali for a month. So I was like, okay, we're going to spend six months in this little hick town in Arizona, then a month in Bali. By the way, this little, uh, it's almost all outdoors. The two bedrooms open up to the pool. There's this own little pool. You're also 400 meters from the beach. So I've got the beach. I got my own private pool. We got this outdoor stuff. You guys are all invited if it ends up happening. Mm -hmm. So. Hey, Joe, I got some news for you. Yes. Uh, Globe, Arizona doesn't have a beach. I think you oh. got suckered. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler. <laughs> no, no, no. In Bali. Oh, Bali. Okay. Right. I'm sorry. He's talking about the place he'll be for one month, not yes. six. Yes. Six months, I'm going to be in this little place without a beach. And then I'll go to Bali. And then we'll do another six months someplace else, some other little town. Cheryl likes being in these underserved areas for what she does. And then after that, then we'll go to maybe Portugal. You know, and I just got online and I looked at digital nomads, fast Internet and places like Bali, Portugal, whatever came up. And um, so, hey, let's go try them all out. and That'll be fun. So yeah. so we thought about that and then we're like, OK, we'll hang on to our house. And then I started thinking about all the cool people I've interviewed the last eight or nine years and all this cool stuff they're doing. I'm like, why would I hang out of my house? And then I thought, well, I got all this stuff and I like my stuff. And then I thought. 
well, why don't we do this crazy thing that other people that we all, you know, these people, uh, you know, Jacob Wade comes to mind or Nick True, uh, Michelle Schroeder Gardner. She lives on a boat. Jacob and Nick uh, and their families live in RVs, right? So why don't I, I'm not an RV guy, don't know how to drive a boat, but I could do this. I could sell my house, sell all my stuff, and we could just live this nomadic life and just live wherever six months that it's here a month there then six months someplace else so that was so i went and i told cheryl that and cheryl's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like what that is the dumbest thing and i'm like no it'd be really cool <laughs> and two days later she came back and she goes i can't stop thinking about that that just seems really really cool so we put our house up for sale we decided to go all liquid. We have a rental house in town. We put our rent, we're a rental house up for sale, just make all of our investments liquid. And we would begin doing this. This first job in Arizona that she had came with a house and a car. So for the first six months, we were going to have, you know, dual income, no expenses. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and that was going to be that. So house, we show it to nine people. This is a whole different episode, but we had a woman on recently, Tracy McLaughlin, talking about real estate and uh, pictures are huge. Pictures, like having great pictures, absolutely huge. The pictures they took of our house now versus when we bought it 18 months ago and we thought we'd be here for a long time, totally better. We got such a big markup on our house versus what we bought it for just a year and a half ago. Pictures and decorating were two things. Same, We didn't really do much to it. But anyway, showed it to nine people, three offers, two of them full price, went with the one with full price cash, sold our house, decided to have an estate sale, estate sales ready to go. Globe Arizona is happening. We've already written it into the show, by the way. And the Stacking Benjamin show, we had already written because we got to re- work five weeks ahead. We've already, we're already talking about Doug and mom and we're in Globe Arizona. We do these jokes that we're there. We're in the car. And the phone rings, the car is packed, like literally the car's packed and we're ready to go. And the recruiter goes, I've never had this happen before. The job's gone. There is no job. There's no Globe Arizona. I'm like, what? we just sold all our stuff. We sold our house. Like, what are we, what are we going to do? So that began a new adventure, which is, you know, the whole, what color is my parachute when I'm 50 years old thing? Like, what do we really want to do now? So uh, the bad news is all those part-time jobs we thought were out there for Cheryl's career, they dried up because of COVID now. She really wants to work now. We talked about that. We're very lucky. We've done a good job of saving. If people know my story, I've done a good rebound on my saving because I was horrible with money. So she doesn't really need to work, but she really wants to do what she, she loves what she does, loves it. And so, so now we're looking for someplace permanent. And we're looking at these opportunities now all over the United States and some opportunity. We look everywhere. I was telling a friend of mine the other day, he called and said, so where are you guys headed? He goes, by the way, I know I ask you this every other day, just to let you know, I can't keep up because I, I it changes every four hours. But so uh, we leave here tomorrow. We're going to initially go look at a couple of the places that are high on our list uh, that I won't name now because they may change. And uh, then we're going to go hang out at OG's house in Dallas for a few weeks. And then um, we're talking about maybe going to Greece in August. Luckily, because we're looking at 
permanent places now, it looks like Bali might not happen. And I already have this rental. The cool thing I did though, and I learned this, I learned this Len from Greg McFarlane. Greg, yeah. Greg had this awesome trip and it didn't work out and he didn't buy insurance. I bought insurance Len on that, on the Bali trip. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I was Greg now. (laughs) He he doesn't know. I should tell him. But anyway, (laughs) so, so maybe you just summer with OG. (laughs) That's I can, you know, what's cool is that, so I'm at OG's house. What's funny is, is that he's in Michigan with relatives. So I am moving from Michigan to OG's house in Dallas while OG is not in his house. Um, Even better. It is. I think that's perfect. It's absolutely (laughs) perfect. Yeah. And then OG comes back and I'll leave. We're good. Yeah. After maybe a couple of days. So anyway, that ends our last recording of a stacking Benjamins here in Detroit. And that's what I'm doing. That is a whirlwind. How about that? Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender